morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you um, for your opportunity, for the opportunity this morning to come um, and hear your word preached. Uh, Father, I just pray that it be the Holy Spirit working through Mark this morning um, and that we would come to know you just a little bit better uh, here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> so we are continuing for, through 1 Samuel. Uh, just a little bit of a background. 1 Samuel chapter 1 is about Hannah. Um, she's afflicted. She doesn't have kids. Um, her rival, Elkanah's other wife, Penina. I love those names. Aren't those awesome names? If you're ever going to have another kid, name a Penina. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, she has lots of kids, and she makes life miserable for Hannah. And Hannah turns to the Lord because he's the only one who can remove this affliction from her. Now, she's not asking for 100 kids. She's not asking for two. She just says, give me a son. Remove the affliction from me, and I'll give that son back to you. <clears throat> and that's precisely what God does. See, the Bible is the unfolding of one big narrative. The anointed one of the Lord is going to redeem the people of the Lord, fulfilling the covenant promises made to Adam, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. And so the book of Samuel, <clears throat> both first and second Samuel, which is one book that was probably two scrolls, and we just kept it because, you know, nobody wants to read a book that's, what, 100 chapters long or whatever. I don't know why they broke it into two, but it's one big book, and it's a major stepping stone toward revealing the revealing of this anointed one, the beginning of Hannah's affliction of barrenness and God's removal of that affliction by giving her a son, Samuel, is a major step in God's revealing who this anointed one is. She knew, Hannah knew the Lord, and she put her trust in Him alone, unlike the wicked, Penina, who are arrogant and self-reliant. Those who know and are faithful to the Lord, especially His anointed one, they put their trust in His salvation in, and might. And so you've got two figures, Hannah, who represents the faithful of God. You've got Penina, who represents the wicked of God. Penina relies upon herself. She's arrogant. She thinks she's awesome because she can have lots of children and looks down on Hannah because she can have none. And God lifts up the one who is looked down upon because she puts her trust in Him. She doesn't trust in the salvation of having a baby. She can't. But God takes her affliction from her. She trusts in His might, not her own. And when we get uh, into further into chapter 2, as Luke just read, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, I mean, why not, right? Hophni and Phinehas were anointed or appointed as priests to assist their father Eli in the receiving and the 
offering of sacrifices to the Lord. They are doing what Aaron and his family was called to do. They are from the line of Aaron. These men were called to lead God's people in the worship of Him, and yet, again, a stark contrast is made between the faithful and the wicked, between those who reject the word of the Lord and those who hear and listen to the word of the Lord, between Eli's son, sons and Samuel. There's, there is this pattern, do you see it? Faithful, wicked. In this case, the blasphemous and then those who submit to the word of God. Blasphemy means to look down upon, to minimize, to scorn the word of God versus Samuel who will hear and listen to the word of God. And so we've got over a well, chapter and a half, if not more, to read today. We're going to break it up into sections. So if you've got your Bible, you've got your Bible app, open it up, and we're going to read. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, we're going to start in verse 11, reread what Luke just read, uh, because that is kind of the foundation of where the rest of this story is going to go. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11, Then Elkanah went, to, went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Samuel is a young boy who faithfully ministered to and before the Lord. And though probably not an official priest, he wears a short inner garment called an ephod that's similar to the extravagant ephod worn by the high priest, signifying his role as a minister to the Lord. And he grew up in the presence of the Lord. That doesn't, doesn't mean physically. I mean, obviously he did. Every day you grow older. This is not a physical growth. It's a spiritual growth. He becomes spiritually mature, willingly submitting and devoting his life to the ministry of God. Now contrast that with the sons of Eli. They are called worthless, 
a phrase reserved for those who worship pagan gods and practice sexual immorality. They are official priests of the Lord, and yet they don't know the one whom they are supposed to be serving. How easy it is to find those today in the church who follow the same lifestyle of worship. Pastors and church leaders who forsake the word of the Lord for their own benefit, or those who are just attending worship services to receive their own pleasure and enjoyment, forsaking the worship of their Creator God. Hophni and Phinehas treated the offerings and sacrifices of the people that were given to the Lord with contempt and scorn. What they required of the people was not what God required. They misused the sacrifices to satisfy their own desires. There were strict instructions. This is what you are to do with the sacrifices. This is how it's supposed to happen. This is when it happens. But Eli's sons, though they knew, that the, regu- they knew the regulations, they completely ignored and blasphemed the word of God. They held the word of God in contempt. They didn't care. But it doesn't stop at food for his sons. They also misuse the other servants of the Lord, especially the women. This is chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Now, the question is, is how does he, why is he here? This is totally side note. He's hearing it, but he's not seeing it. There's a little disconnect there, right? For the high priest. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. There was a group of women who would minister at the entrance to the tent of meeting, most likely fulfilling duties that were needed to keep things in order, in working order. Uh, There's a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of busyness happening throughout the day, and they were part of that process to make sure everything goes smoothly. The tent of meeting was the dwelling place of the holiness of God, His very presence with His people. The priests that were called to point the people to God, to worship Him, to point them to His holiness, desecrate that holy place by treating these women like prostitutes. It was a common practice in pagan temples to have women at the entrance of the temple for such an act. That was their role. That was their purpose. But the people of Israel were called to deny such practices to be different from the nations around them. Now hold that true because it's going to come very quickly. They're going to say, we want to be like all the nations around us. But God called them to be different. You do not worship the way they worship worship. And yet their very own, the, the very own priests commit and endorse such blasphemous acts 
which could only have disastrous effects on the spiritual life and the worship of the people of God, which is exactly what Eli hears. Again, he doesn't see it, so somehow there's a disconnect there, but he hears it. The people confront the high priest with the actions of his sons, and he finally decides to rebuke them. He hears it over and over and over again, like, Okay, I don't know, just as a dad, if I hear my son is something doing something like that, it only takes once, and he'll learn his lesson very quickly. Eli, like, takes his time, it seems. He tells them if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? He reminds his sons that their actions are against God and that the repercussions are going to be severe if they continue to do this. But his sons refuse to listen to them. I mean, why would they? They haven't been rebuked by their father ever before. They've had no issues. They haven't been punished. So why would they expect anything else? But even in this refusal to change, the Lord's punishment was put in action. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And we say, wow, that's kind of severe, isn't it? God takes His holiness very seriously. This is very similar to when Aaron, when they're in the wilderness, God has established the priesthood through Aaron and Aaron's sons offer incorrect incense before the Lord. They burn the wrong thing at the wrong time on purpose. And God sends a fireball down from heaven to consume them. And when Aaron goes to complain to Moses, Moses says, they deserved it, go back to your duties. And Aaron says nothing, as he shouldn't. So it is with Eli's sons. They are going to face the punishment of death for their blasphemy against the word of the Lord, their utter disregard and contempt for the word of the Lord. We may think that we're safe in our rejection of the word of the Lord. Well, say, oh, well, what is the word of the Lord? Well, here's the word of the Lord. If you want to be in general, uh, speak in general for this, we, there are things that we're reading here that we just don't like that are hard for us to grasp, that are hard for us to even swallow. And yet when we go, ah, we don't really need to follow that. I mean, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, it's the word of the Lord. He has spoken to us. He has told us what he wants. He has told us how to worship him, how to see him. He has told us the deepness and the richness and the the awesomeness of His holiness and that we need to bask in that and not take it for granted and not hold it in contempt. We may think we're safe when we reject these words and we say, well, I like this one, but I don't like this one. But even perhaps in our postponements of repentance is the work of the Lord to bring just punishment upon us. Contrast all this with Samuel, who grew in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. Like complete opposite, right? The people speak good of Samuel and ill of Eli's son. Samuel is getting noticed, not because he was well-spoken of um, or well-spoken, like he, he could 
preach really, really well. Not because he's in the limelight like Eli's sons, but because he's a faithful servant of the Lord. He stood out because he held the word of the Lord high. Where Eli's sons were looked down upon by the people, Samuel found favor with them. Where Eli's sons were looked down upon by the Lord and condemned to death, Samuel has found favor with God. The people and God sees a young man who loves and serves God. And it brought them joy. That's what it means to have favor. We look, we look at somebody who's obedient to Christ and we find joy. He or she loves God and loves His Word. And it brings joy to my heart as a fellow believer in Christ to see that they're lifting the holiness and the greatness of God high. They're holding to the Word and submitting to the Word of God no matter the cost. That brings me joy. It makes me want to strive to follow that example, to be, to be like them. And then there's Eli, the high priest of the Lord. He rebukes his sons, but he does nothing to stop the blasphemy. He just lets it continue. Verse 27 through 36. And there came a man of God to Eli. Again, somebody has to come and tell him this. And said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by, father, by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices? Why then do you blaspheme my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of the people of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever, but... You know, I said usually but's the greatest, or in this case, it's the worst word in Scripture. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Before the days are coming, behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that, I shall, be, should, that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one, now listen to this carefully, the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you 
Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a priest, a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Sadly, a man of God needed to pronounce judgment upon Eli and his family for his failure, Eli's failure to hold high the holiness of God. He's the high priest, and in a lot of sense, he is faithful, and we'll see that here in just a bit. But God had anointed, uh, appointed Eli's house as priest, so then why does Eli scorn and show contempt for God's sacrifices and offerings? He is holding Eli responsible for his son's actions. You are honoring your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. Eli had despised the word and the command of the Lord by doing nothing about the sins of his sons. Family had become a higher priority to Eli than God. Family had become a higher priority to him. His comfort and peace with his sons had become more important than the holiness of God. But the Lord honors those who honor him, and he makes insignificant, that's what that means, he makes insignificant and small those who despise him. God rejects the household of Eli as his holy priests. But the Lord is going to raise up a faithful priest who will do according to what is in the heart and mind of God. His household will be established as the new priestly house forever. He will go in and out before the Lord's anointed forever. This is, a, this is a, a foreshadowing of what's going to come with David. Eventually, it becomes true that Samuel's, because that's who he's speaking of, this faithful priest, Samuel, his line gets established by Solomon to be the high priest. And it's established all the way through the Maccabean revolt. If you don't know your history, you should look it up. The Jewish revolt against against uh, Rome. The Lord raises up this faithful priest in Samuel because Eli and his sons have despised God. And so chapter 3 lays this truth out. This is how God calls Samuel. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. 
lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went, went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Okay, that means... He had not yet been called by the Lord. He knew God and God knew him and he was growing in stature, but he had not yet been called as a priest. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time and he arose and went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears hears it, will tingle. Usually that's a good thing. In this case, it's not a good thing. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That's big. It cannot be forgiven by God. Samuel lay down till morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what is it that he told you, do not hide it from me. May God do, to you, do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Again, it's stated that Samuel is ministering to the Lord under Eli, reminding us of his faithfulness in contrast to the sons of Eli. And though the word of the Lord was rare in those days, God was about to speak loud and clear, ushering in the next step towards the redemption of his people. Where chapter 2 compares Samuel with Eli's son, chapter 3 actually compares Samuel with Eli. Where Eli's sight had begun to fade, Samuel is about to receive a vision from the Lord. Where Eli is laying down in his own place, probably a side room, Samuel is laying down in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. He's in the presence of God. He's sleeping, maybe right not next, right not, not right next to the Ark, but in pretty close proximity to the Ark. And if we remember what we learned about the Ark of the Covenant in the, the book of Exodus, 
that's the throne of God. That's where He resides. That's where His presence sits. And Eli is away from the presence of the Lord, and Samuel is in the midst of the presence of the Lord. Samuel is taking Eli's place as high priest. Three times the Lord calls Samuel, and three times Samuel responds, here I am, thinking that Eli had called him. But when Eli finally realizes that it's the Lord who is speaking, he tells Samuel correctly, when the Lord calls out again, say, speak for your servant hears. Or in other words, Lord, tell me what you want from me, and I will do whatever you ask. How different from Eli and Eli's sons. Samuel is faithful, and he willingly submits to the word of the Lord, even if it is hard for him to do. And we know this because he's reluctant to tell Eli what God said to him, that he is, Eli is rejected, his household is rejected, his sons are rejected by God. But Eli, when he hears it, he this is where the difference between Eli and his sons lies. Eli made massive mistakes, but in a very real sense, he is still faithful to the Lord because he hears, he hears what the Lord tells Samuel, confirming what the man of God had told him earlier. And he takes this rebuke and he speaks, uh, Samuel speaks this rebuke from God to Eli and Eli humbly accepts his rejection from the Lord. He submits to the word of the Lord. And not only that, he confesses the Lord's right to do as he saw as right and just. For who is Eli to correct God? <laughs> are, you are you sure you really want to do that, God? Are you, are you sure you don't want to change your mind? It, Samuel, did you hear that right? I mean, maybe it was, you know, he's just giving me a two-week leave, and then he's going to bring me back in. It's like, no. Eli, you're rejected, and your sins of your sons can never be forgiven. You will never be restored as priest again. And Eli just takes it and says, the Lord knows best. The Lord knows best. There is a cost to rejecting and blaspheming, making small the words of the Lord. We see it in Hophni, Phinehas, in some ways, Eli, later on, King Saul, those who reject and blaspheme the word of the Lord, they do it for their own pleasure and their own desires. They worship themselves. They worship what they want. And it's the same today. It's no different from today. When we read the word of God and we reject it, why we are rejecting it is because it doesn't fit what I want. Eli's sons have no regard for the holiness of God, 
They use their position as priests to disregard the word of the Lord and fulfill their own sinful desires. And when Samuel confronts Saul, this is later, King Saul, for his utter disregard for the word of the Lord, Saul makes excuses. He blames those around him. He minimizes his sin. In fact, he blames Samuel for his own disobedience, for Saul's disobedience. These men reject and blaspheme the word of the Lord, treating his commands and his will and his desires with utter contempt, and so the Lord rejects them. He kills Hophni and Phinehas. He removes the household of Eli from the priesthood. He takes the kingdom out of Saul's hand and gives it to David, a man after his own heart. Compare that with those who hear and listen to and submit to the word of the Lord. Eli, ultimately, Samuel, and even David, King David. They do it for God's pleasure. They want God's desires to be seen and known and understood. They worship the Lord. They don't worship themselves. And even Eli, though he failed in many ways, in the end he trusts the Lord's judgment. It doesn't remove the consequences for his sins or the sins of his sons, and yet he gladly listened, took it in stride, and said, God is good. I can't argue with him. And then we'll soon see that Samuel's sons follow the same path as Eli's sons, but Samuel never forsakes the desires, the will, and the the glory of the Lord for his family. He never puts his sons above the Lord. He never puts even the people above the Lord. The Lord is his focus. The word of God is firm in his mind and he wants to obey it. He wants to live it. He wants to submit to it even if it's difficult. And then you go to King David man after God's own heart who commits adultery and murder. That's kind of weird when you think about it. And yet he's held as the high standard for faithfulness because when he is confronted by a man of God, he repents and he willingly takes responsibility for his sins. His sin of adultery and murder is the beginning of the end of David's reign. And David, through the rest of his reign, says, whatever, the God, whatever God decides, he submits to the Lord. And because of that, the Lord accepts him. The Lord accepts Samuel. Consider right now whether you are rejecting or listening to blaspheming or submitting to the words of the Lord. We hear through this passage, if you reject the word of the Lord, if you hold the word of God in contempt, you will be rejected by God. But if you hear and listen to and submit to the words of the Lord, 
you will be accepted by God. Now again, that's, that's not legalism. Don't, don't hear like, well, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to hear the word and then I've got to you know, do it. And then God's going to accept me. Actually, that's not how it works. In fact, even in the New Testament, turn to John chapter 10. This is a, a, a well-known passage or part of it is a well-known passage, but I want to get the context this is Jesus having a conversation with, with the spiritual leaders of Israel. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. It says, At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So in other words, I have told you flat out, I am the Christ. And if you can't hear what I'm saying, look what I'm doing. I'm healing people for crying out loud. I'm bringing people from the dead. What do you think is going on? I am the Christ, and yet you do not believe. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Where have we heard that word before? <laughs> because you, being a man, make yourself God. Those who hear the voice of Christ and they recognize it are his people. They are his sheep. He is their shepherd. Now, that means, yes, as a believer in Christ, when I hear the word of God, I recognize it as the voice of Christ. I recognize it as God himself speaking to me. But there is also his sheep before they're ever saved, hear the, the truth of who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. They recognize it because they are already His people and they're saved. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd and are saved. What does that tell you? It tells you that they weren't... How, how do I, I'm trying to... How do I say this? They were his sheep before they did any works. They were his sheep before they obeyed him. They were his sheep before they even believed because the Father had chosen them from the beginning of time and they can't be snatched out of the Father's hands. They can't be snatched out of Christ's hands. They were his sheep before they even realized they were sheep. 
And then when Jesus spoke, the sheep went, oh my goodness, I recognize that voice. I recognize the good shepherd. And they believed and they were saved before they had done any good works of their own, before any obedience had happened. They were his sheep. They recognize his voice. They are known by Christ and they follow him. So it is a legalism that well, if I just obey the word of God and do exactly as he says, then I will be saved. That's legalism, that's moralism, and that leads you to hell. But when we hear the word of God for the first time and it clicks because we go, this is the truth, we are his sheep and he saves us. And we will never be snatched out of his hands. We will never be removed from his family. The sheep that are there will be the sheep forever. They can't be made into goats. They can't be rejected. Like Samuel and Eli and David, the sheep of Christ willingly submit to Christ. They willingly submit to the incarnate word of God. God himself in the flesh, the word made real in our presence here on earth, and the Lord accepts his sheep. If you recognize the voice of Christ, you will obey it. But this also means that if you reject the voice of Christ, because you go, well, that's dumb, I'm not going to obey that. That's not really God. Who is this God anyway? Ah, it's just an ancient book. I don't need to pay attention. Maybe good morals, but nah, I could do whatever I want because life is about pleasing me and pleasing my desires. You are Hophni and Phineas and Saul. If you reject the voice of Christ, you reject Christ himself, you reject God. And God rejects you. Good morning, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just like, woo! It's not. We met yesterday as leaders to talk about evangelism and how evangelism is the proclamation of the good news. Well, to have good news means you need to understand the bad news. And the bad news is if you reject Christ, God rejects you. You are rejected. But the good news is if you hear the voice of Christ, you recognize it and you believe he brings you into his family forever and he gives eternal life in his presence forever. Hell is not even on the table. It'll never be on the table. And like David, who sinned horribly, <laughs> he wasn't rejected by God. He faced the consequences of his sins, but he was still a child of God. He was still God's anointed king. And God made him the standard of obedience until the true, highly anointed, perfect one, the king, the high priest, the prophet, Jesus Christ. He fulfills all those offices perfectly in one. He lived the perfect life for us and he saves us. When we hear his words, 
when we listen or read or we hear the words of Christ in his word in the Bible, do we reject it? Or do we listen to it? Do we blaspheme it? Or do we submit to his words and find utter joy and satisfaction and peace and salvation? Only through him are we saved. Hear his voice, believe, experience salvation, experience joy, experience peace, experience everything that you've ever wanted, even when the world around you and even your own life is falling apart. Christ is firm, and he is our Savior. Father, I pray that these are not just stories, because they're not. They're historical events. They are truth. They are your word. Help us not to, to belittle your word, but to instead embrace it. God, to experience salvation as we hear the words of your Son who says, Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I pray, Father, that as your people, as your sheep, that we would hear his voice and find peace in the midst of life that is chaotic and crazy and completely against you and against your word. Father, I pray that those who are listening, that they have rejected your word, that, Father, you would soften their hearts. I pray that they would Hear the gospel message of salvation is only through you, you alone, that they would believe that you would do that, Father, in their hearts. And for those of us who are, are Christians, Father, who were striving each and every day to be obedient to you, to find joy in you, to hear your word and to submit underneath it, give us the strength, Father, to do that. And when we fail, Father, that our hearts would be grieved to its core, and that you would strengthen us to stand firm, knowing that you have saved us, we have not saved ourselves. We are not made sheep, Father, by our works. We are made sheep by your works, by you. May our lives give you the glory, Father, and may we submit to you in all things. We ask this in your name. Amen.